Can DJ benefit from what he's seeing? Like, can he sit there on the sideline, watch Tyrod, what he's doing, and maybe, I don't know, maybe unlock a few things mentally? Sure. You, know, you know what I mean? Because Tyrod's out there. He's making quick decisions. He's getting the ball out. Obviously, that's helping the offensive line, right? He's giving his guys a chance to run after the catch. He's yeah. getting Hyatt. Uh-huh. He's getting Waller involved. Like he's manipulating the pocket without panicking. You know, sometimes I think DJ, and you can't blame him with how, how many times he was getting hit and sacked, right? But I think sometimes DJ would just tuck the ball and, and just take off. But Tyrod is, he's got like a calmness to him. I, I just think DJ could learn. It's like such a benefit of having a veteran backup that's as good as Tyrod Taylor. And I think that's sure. some of what Brian Dayball was kind of alluding to when he was giving his non answers, right? He's, I'm glad we have this guy. And it's, he's good for the team. I think. Other quarterbacks out there, guys like Justin Fields, like could really use a player like Tyrod Taylor as the backup because you can, he could help reset DJ a little bit mentally, just kind of sitting back and watching what he's doing and how the offense is operating better. Hey there, everybody. Welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here along with my good friend, Dan Benton. It's the Giants Wire podcast powered by the USA Today Network. Dan, of course, is the managing editor of Giants Wire. We appreciate you jumping on board this week and every week during the season. Subscribe. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. That's how you can support us. We appreciate you. Hi, Dan. You ready to talk about a Giants victory this week? Oh, there's so few and far between. I, I can't tell you how thankful I am that we get to have that discussion, even though it's sort of marred by the ongoing quote-unquote quarterback controversy that really isn't. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it is, it's nice to pick up a win for the Giants, no doubt. Uh, they feel good about it. The fans feel good about it. It was, was too long in between not just touchdowns, but wins. So. Yeah, the touchdowns. Back on board. <laughs> touchdowns yeah. for sure. Way too long, especially at home. And was that their first offensive touchdown or first touchdowns in general at home this year? So that was pretty good. Uh, is, is this more positive signs, you know, coming off that Bills game, Dan, or are the Bills just broken and is Sam Howell terrible? You know, is this more positive sides or is this just, you know, the, the state of the schedule right now? Well, I got to tell you that bear or the Bills game doesn't look nearly as positive in retrospect as it did at the time as a Patriots uh, fan. I agree. Yes. No, it doesn't look as yeah, good. That, that that's sort of unexpected. They're, they're sort of a roller coaster up and down. You can't really blame it on the London hangover anymore. Um, so I, I don't know what that says about the giants. I really, um, you can't really weigh that, that loss anymore. When you look at the Bills' schedule and what they've done, you know, from losing to the Jets, to the Jags, and and, and now the Patriots, to, to dominating Miami, which doesn't make any sense. It's, that's that's a weird team over there, I'll tell you that much. But as far as the commanders and Sam Howell, I was not nearly impressed with him as I expected to be, but I will give him the benefit of the doubt because I'll play the same game for him that I do and have with Daniel Jones. You can't evaluate a quarterback behind an offensive line like that. It's not possible. I feel that. And, and Wink Martindale definitely let the guys pin their ears back a little bit, sent a lot of pressure. Uh, I think I read that Howell was pressured on like almost 70% of his dropbacks in that game, uh, or at least blitzed, I should say. He was blitzed yeah. on at least 70% of his uh, around there. So uh, some, some good stuff from the defense. We'll get there. I also want to get to Tyrod, uh, Daniel Jones, that debate. Which Brian Dayball helped ignite Dan. I thought in the press game, in the post game, he had a chance to just say, "Guys, no, Daniel Jones is the guy." But he didn't. He stopped short of saying that. We'll get there. But I want to hit on an article that I saw in Giants Wire this week, Dan, from our friend John Fennelly, uh, great guy, longtime contributing writer for the Giants Wire, uh, and he was ready to talk path. I don't know if I'm ready to talk path to the playoffs yet, Dan. I'm not sure if I'm there yet mentally for the path talk. Uh, but John simply pointed out in that article that at two and five, this win over the commanders 
put the Giants just one game back of the win column of the current final wild card team, and that's the Tampa Bay Bucks so, at three and three. So there is a path. Oh boy, that's so weird. Who would have expected that? The NFC is a weird, weird conference this year. I don't know how else to put it, but at two and five, we're like, hey, the Giants are only a game and a half out, one game in the win column. I mean, who who could have possibly imagined that scenario? That shouldn't be the case, but here we are. And to their credit, the Giants are kind of getting a little bit healthier, starting to play a little bit better, and suddenly have a more favorable schedule. So if they can pick up a win against the Jets, it's going to do a lot of things and, and impact a lot of different avenues for the Giants, not just in terms of the playoffs, but in terms of the trade deadline, which we'll talk about here shortly. And and who knows what else? It's, it's going to have its tentacles and everything if they can pick up this win. Yeah, it's a big it's a big game. And it's really interesting. The Giants have 10 games left with a bye week right in between, right, Dan? So it's basically like two mini seasons. You have two five-game seasons here. And this first one, I think they have a chance to do some things, right? I mean, you have the Jets. Obviously, it's a big game. We'll be breaking down that matchup here as well on the show this week. Then you go to Vegas. Very winnable game, right, with Jimmy G. Hurt especially at Dallas, I mean, that one's tough, obviously. Possible revenge game, though, from week one. The Giants should be up for that one, but, you know, that that could be a tough one to win. But then you're at Washington, a team the Giants have fared very well against recently. And then at home against New England, who uh, has the worst offense in football. Um, now, they did they did just do what the Giants couldn't, Dan, and they finished off the Bills this past week. So good job, Pats. Mm-hmm. But uh, we all know the Patriots are not very good. They're, in, they're more in competition for a uh, top five pick. Than a top seven seed, I, I should say, for the Patriots in the AFC. But what about the Giants, Dan? Are they more? What do you think about the team? Are are they more? Uh, are they more a team that is competing for a top seven seed or a top five pick? What's your gut tell you? Uh, right yes, now? yes, both. <laughs> Just it's, it's <laughs> somewhere really, in the middle. They're, they're 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 right there. They could go, you know, could go completely either way. Like even if they pick up a win against the Jets, chances are they're still going to be somewhere in the top ten of projected. Uh, selection. So it's kind of a weird, precarious situation the Giants find themselves in right now. Um, but, you know, they're going to do what they should do, and that's just focus on winning. They're not thinking about the draft, obviously. If they can suddenly turn things around and go on a little bit of a run, you know, all of this stuff that starts the season is going to, you know, sort of be forgotten about. It'll become a distant memory rather quickly. Uh, but, you know, they'll stay true to Dayball's message, and they're going to take it one game at a time, and that's really all they can do at this point. Um, you know, if they can get healthy and they can turn things around, that that would be tremendous for the entire area. The reality of the situation, however, while their defense is becoming dominant and there's it truly is becoming dominant, uh, their offense is still on pace to be, I believe it's the lowest scoring team in NFL history. So there's there's most certainly some work to be done there. And they did, you know, show some positive strides in the first half. Uh, of the last game, but then they kind of fell off pretty dramatically in the second half when they did have their opportunities. You know, there was some, you know, the Saquon fumble, some other errors that happened there, uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. So there's a lot that they still need to clean up. But I think, you know, the return of players like Andrew Thomas and, and John Michael Smith will go a long way in, in helping fix some of those issues. Yeah, that'll be huge. And uh, I'm not ready to go full path talk yet, Dan, but let's just see how these next few games go. And if the Giants are, you know, winning and maybe get a couple wins here over the next few weeks, maybe we'll dive into the path talk. But I appreciate John for putting that out there. It was that was a, a fun <laughs> article to read coming off the win. But all right, let's let's get to the Tyrod Taylor versus Daniel Jones debate, shall we, Dan? Uh, now, whether you think the debate is anchored in reality is is kind of irrelevant because didn't Coach Dayball himself kind of lit, light this flame, Dan? He 
He was asked a question. Of course he was. And he had the chance to just shoot it down. And all, and all he said afterwards was, I'll just say Tyrod had a good game. He's a true pro. And I'm glad we got him. That's all he said. He didn't say, no, Daniel's our guy. We're committed to Jones, any of that. Now, I don't think that this is this is a nothing answer from Brian Dayball. But of course, that leaves the door open for everyone to lose their minds. And, and that's where we're at, right? Uh, so, But I think we all know, and I know you're going to say this. We all know that this is DJ's team when he's cleared for contact uh, and and cleared to play, right? They just you're not going to bench the guy you just paid to be your franchise quarterback. Um, but I think the fact that the fans and media are seriously in in like a hot debate over this topic, it's not a good look for DJ, right? Because those first five games were not good. He didn't look good. The team didn't look good. And now Tyrod's come in. The offense is actually functioning and DJ's hurt and watching on the sideline. And that's just not good for him, right? In his future and the, the future prospects. So I don't think this is a, a really a Tyrod versus DJ debate. It's a, is DJ the guy debate? And I think right now it's hurting him not being in the game and him sitting on the sideline watching his backup quarterback come in and be functional. It's not a good look. Well, I think that's that's true for any injured player. You can't help the club from the tub. And that's, you know, it's been that saying dating back to, you know, the Bill Parcells era. Yep, yep. That's a great one. And that, a lot of players would play hurt under Parcells for this exact reason. Now, obviously, in the modern NFL, the training staffs certainly don't allow that, especially when it comes to a serious injury like a neck injury. Yeah, wouldn't Parcells um, like basically it, be like, get out there? <laughs> you know, you yeah, more or less. Yeah, the Parcells players would tell you if you you know if you were hurt and didn't play, then chances are you weren't going to be on the team. You were going to lose your role, and that's just how it was. Um, you know that would never fly in the modern NFL, not in a million years. But it doesn't it doesn't help Daniel Jones to set him aside. But I think it, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help him in the sense that he had an injury history, specifically a neck injury history. And although they're telling you that this one is unrelated, the fact that he's now had two severe neck injuries in three seasons that alone doesn't help his value it doesn't help his cloud it doesn't help his future um you know they're kind of being a little coy about how serious this is or what it might be or you know any any detail or you know as far as the nature of the injury the severity of the injury etc cetera, etc cetera. so you can't really debate too heavily on that because i don't think anybody really understands what's going on but when you're not cleared for contact almost three weeks removed from the injury obviously it's pretty serious so i i think forget about what tyrod is doing on the field i think that harms daniel jones his value his long-term potential his you know his the way that fans and, and reporters look at him, I think that's damaging and probably more than even, you know, four of the five games that he played earlier this season, which were not pretty. The, the lone exception, obviously, being the Arizona game. I think the real question here, Dan, it's not is, is DJ going to be the starter when he's healthy? I think we all know mm -hmm. every Giants fan knows that's going to happen. Uh, but can DJ benefit from what he's seeing? Like, can he sit there on the sideline, watch Tyrod, what he's doing and maybe, I don't know, maybe unlock a few things mentally. Sure. You, know, you know what I mean? Because Tyrod's out there. He's making quick decisions. He's getting the ball out. Obviously, that's helping the offensive line, right? He's giving his guys a chance to run after the catch. He's yeah. getting Hyatt. Uh -huh. He's getting Waller involved. Like He's manipulating the pocket without panicking. You know, sometimes I think DJ, and you can't blame him without how many times he was getting hit and sacked, right? But I think sometimes DJ would just tuck the ball and, and just take off. But Tyrod, is he's got like a calmness to him. I, I just think... DJ could learn. It's like such a benefit of having a veteran backup that's as good as Tyrod Taylor. And I think that's sure. some of what Brian Dayball was kind of alluding to when he was giving his non-answers, right? He's, I'm glad we have this guy. It's, he's good for the team. I think other quarterbacks out there, guys like Justin Fields, like could really use a player like Tyrod Taylor as the backup because you can, 
he could help reset DJ a little bit mentally, just kind of sitting back and watching what he's doing and how the offense is operating better. Is there anything there? Oh, I, I yeah, 100%. I mean, obviously, listen, to Tyrod's credit, he's great at keeping his eyes downfield, keeping his shoulder square, looking for the target. He's not as keen to tuck the ball and run as Daniel Jones is. Now, that's a strength of Daniel Jones's game, but there are caveats to that. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a, like a 100% foolproof kind of thing. You know, when you're so inclined to run, sometimes you leave the pocket earlier than you probably should have missed some guys down the field. And listen, I'm not saying that Tyrod hasn't missed guys. Cause if you watch the film, he misses guys who are open, just like Daniel Jones has. It's just not, it's not paraded out there as this huge error that it is when Daniel Jones does it. It's just sort of, you know, a, a forgiven statistic, a forgiven moment that it is with basically every other quarterback in the league who don't get, don't get dragged for those same things. But but yeah, I think he could learn from watching Tyrod and, and how he approaches, you know, getting pressured. Um, Tyrod has been lucky in the sense that he hasn't quite been beaten into the ground as frequently or as often as, or, or you know, as consistently as Daniel Jones was over the first, you know, five games of the season. And, uh, the, you know, some of that can be attributed to, like I said, his escapability, but there's also been an offensive line improvement. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody would deny that. I know some would like to, you know, say that that's a result of Daniel Jones not being in there, but Justin Pugh kind of poo-pooed that earlier uh, last week. Which that was an interesting. That was an week. interesting article on Giants Wire. Yes. Yeah. So you know, there there is something to be said about the improvements around Tyrod and, and the mess that's sort of been cleaned up to some degree that it wasn't under Daniel Jones, but. Again, that's not dismissing Tyrod or anything that Daniel can learn from Tyrod because there are certainly some things there. Mainly, I think if there's the biggest lesson of all is just throw the damn ball up to Jay, uh, Jalen Hyatt, let him go figure it out because he's going to figure it out down there. So, you know, when you've got the benefit of having Saquon back in the game and and the safety's kind of moving up towards the line of scrimmage, and then you've got the speed of Jalen Hyatt, I think that would benefit any quarterback and. You know, watching Tyrod over the, over the last two games, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that there has to be for Jones. If you've got Saquon back there and the and the safeties are sneaking up, take your chances down the field. Just throw the ball. Let the kid go get the ball. Quite frankly, I, I would argue that Tyrod, too, has underthrown Jalen Hyatt just as Daniel Jones had earlier in the season. So what I really want to see from either one of these quarterbacks moving forward, something I think that they can both learn from the film is – just throw that ball out out in front of this kid and let him go get it. It's going to be your best bet uh, to get big chunk plays, to push the ball down the field, to get those explosive plays, those 20-plus yard plays that the Giants had lacked up until last week. Yeah, he's a burner, man. He's a burner. But yeah, those are all those are all excellent points. The Saquon Barkley being back in the offense obviously helps. The offensive line actually like, figuring stuff out a little bit with Justin Pugh coming in there. Now, I know he didn't light the world on fire in this game, Dan. It's not, not magnified. It's not magnified as much when you win, though. Uh, but you nope. want to you hit on that? His, some of his comments piqued your interest after the game. Yeah, yeah. It, and it wasn't even – it was prior to this actual uh, – the Washington game that, that Pugh had said this. And it kind of flew under the radar. And I'm, I found it odd that it did because it, it seemed like it should be top headline news. But <laughs> – you know, he came in and said one of the biggest issues that the Giants offensive line was dealing with largely due to injuries in the constant cycle of players was that they were over communicating with each other and that that was causing, you know, significant amount of problems that seemed to increase once John Michael Smith went down with injury. Um, there was just this constant confusion that was evident on the film to evident to the naked eye to any even the most casual fan watching the Giants. And by no means have the Giants completely fixed those issues. But analytically, statistically, and even to the naked eye, 
watching that offensive line, they're leaps and bounds better over the last two weeks than they had been prior to when Pew came in and kind of shut down the whole over-communication problem that they were dealing with. And I, I know, again, a lot of people wanted to blame that on Jones, but, you know, uh, Pew came in and basically said that wasn't what was happening here. There was just an over-communication issue. People were trying to do too much. There was too much talking prior to the snap, too much confusion, and they kind of simplified things over the previous two weeks. And again, although he didn't have a particularly good game last week when he got thrust out to, to left tackle again, uh, the, the offensive line as a whole seemed to be more meshed than they had been, despite it being yet another combination, the seventh or the sixth and seven games that, that it has been so far this season. So obviously the veteran presence, presence that is puke came in there and cleaned something up. So far it's benefited Tyrod Taylor, but you better believe that if Jones gets back in there, it's going to benefit him just as much. It's going to be interesting. And, and DJ doesn't look like he's playing in this game, Dan. Does it, is that official yet? We're, we're not, we're, we haven't seen the injury report yet. No, no. We're recording this on Wednesday morning. The first injury report doesn't come out until Wednesday afternoon. But it, it certainly sounds like, based on Daniel Jones' interview with Kay Adams on Tuesday, mm-hmm. that he's not yet that he's not yet cleared for contact. I would, he didn't say that explicitly, but it certainly was implied. I wouldn't mind Kay Adams interviewing me, Dan. That would be that would be just fine with me. Um, just personally, she's a great interviewer. <laughs> there's no doubt about yes. that. She's excellent. She is just excellent in, in many ways. Um, all right. So let's get to this game against the Jets uh, and maybe talk a little bit about what the Giants are doing on defense. Everybody's talking about the Jets defense. Of course, that's excellent. But the Giants have a little bit of something going on that side of the ball as well. We'll hit on all that coming up next. But here first, here's some week eight fantasy football advice. Corey Bonini here with the huddle.com to bring you fantasy football strong plays for week number eight. Quarterback Derek Carr, New Orleans Saints at Indianapolis Colts. Even though he has just one multiple touchdown game in 2023, he has gone over 300 yards in each of the last two contests. Indy has allowed the 13th most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks. But that number is depressed from facing Cleveland and Tennessee. Four QBs have posted at least 21 fantasy points versus Indy this year, and Carr has the weaponry to make it five. Running back Raheem Mostert, Miami Dolphins at New England Patriots. Mostert rocked New England in Week 2 when the Pats heavily focused on keeping Tyreek Hill from owning them. In that first meeting, Mostert rushed 18 times for 121 yards and scored twice. The Pats have surrendered totally neutral ground numbers since that game, and the majority of success against them has come via the passing game. Even after last week's flop, Mostert has still played far too well to be left on your bench. Make sure to lock him into all lineups. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, Buffalo Bills versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After a month of strong play, Davis has turned in consecutive fantasy flops. The Buccaneers present a matchup that profiles well for volume, but not so much for big play types like Davis. That said, it's tough to run on Tampa, tight ends rarely fare well, and this defense will have all it can do to slow Stephon Diggs. We like Davis's odds for getting into the end zone this week, and he's a pretty safe bet for at least 15 fantasy points. Tight end Jake Ferguson, Dallas Cowboys versus Los Angeles Rams. Ferguson comes off of his bye for a matchup with a top 10 opponent in terms of ease of exploitation, and he deserves a lineup spot in all weekly formats. The Rams have allowed three touchdowns to the position and 13.7 points per game in PPR on the year. But the kicker is that all of those scores have come in the last five weeks. This is the second best yardage matchup since week two's conclusion. Ferguson really could challenge for a top five spot this week in fantasy scoring. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. It's the MetLife Bowl. Uh, the Jets are coming off their bye week. I think they're actually three-point favorites, Dan, two and a half, or whatever book you want to look at. But I think BetMGM had them at three-point favorites coming into this game. I think a lot of that is because they're riding a, a couple-game win streak. 
just beat the Philadelphia Eagles before their bye, right? And they have one of the best defenses in football. So all that's working in the Jets' favor here. Yes, but is Wink's defense backed in? Because the Giants, okay, so over their first five games, they allowed 30 points per game and averaged nine missed tackles a game, right? It's just like uh, unbelievable. They're just, we're all sitting here like, what happened to the Giants' defense? But they're noticeably tackling better, right? They're noticeably pressuring the quarterback with better execution, Dan, especially against Washington. I thought it, it was interesting. It was kind of two different game plans against the Bills in Washington. I thought they dialed up the blitz against Washington, really attacked that offensive line and that horrible quarterback, Sam Howell, who obviously just stares down the rush, Dan, and sucks. And it, God, he's the most sacked quarterback you're, in the league. And you're you're so harsh on this poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was, but I, you know what? Sometimes when when sometimes when you get a take right, Dan, you just got to lean into it, really enjoy it. And I finally got one right when I kept telling you last week how bad Sam Howell was. <laughs> so anyway, that offense just as a whole is, is really really awful. It's bad. But to the Giants' credit, they made a terrible offense look terrible, right? And. Yeah, the defense has a little bit of something going. Kayvon Thibodeau has a little something going again. You could talk about him. Like, I don't know. Have they found something? Have they gotten their groove back on defense? It certainly seems like it. You know, it's not just that it was a dominant performance against a bad offense, but, you know, they played particularly well against Buffalo, which, again, we look back now and it's like, man, we don't really know what that is. Um, but if you go back to the beginning of the season where they got 40 dropped on them by Dallas, well, 30 three, whatever, one of them was a block, but you, you get what I'm saying. You know, you, they were progressively getting better and better. The tackles were obviously a huge issue and they still were. There were, you know, several instances last week where guys were missing tackles late. And it's like, come on, man, you, you, we thought you cleaned this up. So it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but you can tell that on an individual level, the players themselves are making strides. I thought, Trey Hawkins played a particularly good game after several bad games last week. Nick McLeod, who only took like 16 defensive snaps, made an incredible impact on that game when he was in there. Past deflections, you know, he was good in coverage. He, he recovered one of the muff fumbles from Eric Gray, potentially saving the Giants some points. So he played good. You know, Dexter Lawrence was one of them. That was one of the most dominant nose tackle performances that I've ever seen in my entire life watching him and poor Nick Gates love Nick Gates. We love him on this show. He's a yep, great guy. Yep. He was absolutely eaten alive by Dexter Lawrence last week. I'm sure he was it, thrilled about like, the matchup. You know, I'm sure he just oh, could not wait. <laughs> it's just like he Dexter won every single snap. You saw Leonard Williams playing well. You saw Kayvon coming on and playing well. He's cleaning up a lot of the criticisms that I had, you know, about him earlier this season. And I think above all else, and Deontay Banks tipped the cap to him. He's turning out to be a really great player. Uh, Michael McFadden and Bobby Okereke in the middle of that defense, they are balling out of their minds right now. And the entire defense is feeding off of how well they're playing. Yeah. McFadden was the highest graded linebacker in all of football in, in last week. And that's just, that's such a climb from where he was as a rookie a year ago and some of the struggles that he dealt with. Yeah. And, and there was all this concern that do the giants have a quality enough linebacker, you know, maybe Darian Beavers is going to come in and, and take that role. And obviously, you know, that didn't happen for, for different reasons, but you know, he's playing particularly well. Okereke has really turned things around after he struggled early in the season. And, and again, you can look at multiple games and multiple different game plans and still see that individually these players are playing at a higher level than they had been. And I think that's a better indicator than any of the other statistics and analytics that you could throw out there that this defense is improving considerably. And again, that's a credit to Wink Martindale, recognizing what his players are doing well individually, recognizing what they're able to do as a group. 
you know, countering that with who they're playing and what their strengths and weaknesses are, and, and then just lighting things up. I thought the game against Buffalo and the game against Washington are really good indicators that this Giants defense has completely turned things around, and they're going to be a factor the rest of the way. Yep, and they're going to have to be a factor in this game against the Jets, right? Because this is going to be a defensive game. Uh, I don't think there's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of points. You look at the over-under on BetMGM, it's 36 and a half. Seems generous. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. The Jets struggle on offense, just like the Giants do. Zach Wilson is extremely limited, right? So, I mean, you this is going to be defense versus defense kind of, right? You know, the Jets defense, they're going to try to be, they're going to be conservative on offense, Dan, play field position, try to score a few points, and then win it on D. Um, and the Giants, they might have to do the same thing because the Jets defense yeah, is that good. <laughs> so, like, that's what do you think about that specific matchup, the, the Giants D going against this Jets offense, which with Zach Wilson is uh, it's just a completely different team with Aaron Rodgers out, obviously. Uh, oh yeah, takes no a doubt. little bit. Takes a little bit of the uh, the fun out of this game. If Aaron Rodgers was in it, it would be a little more fun, probably. But uh, it's well, a I little really bit wanted to see now. the follow up. Yeah. yeah, I really wanted to see the follow up from the preseason. I wanted to see Aaron Aaron Rodgers and Jihad Ward go at it again. Sure. Thought, yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> I wanted to see the conclusion to that story, but we're not. We're unfortunately we're not going to get that. But yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of the same things on on defense on, on for both teams because that is going to be the way that it is. The offenses are not overly explosive. I don't think they're capable of being overly explosive against these respective defenses. I think maybe the Jets have a better opportunity in some areas to be explosive than the Giants might. Uh, but then you've got Zach Wilson, and you never kind of you don't really ever know who's going to show up with that. It could be really, really bad, or it could just be a little bit bad. <laughs> but it's very rarely very good. So you know the Giants are just going to have to keep the pressure on them defensively. I think what they're really going to have to hone in on is stopping Brees Hall uh, because the Giants. For all the improvements they've made, they're still struggling, uh, you know, against the rush a little bit. So they're going to have to figure a way to slow that down because if they don't and 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 the Jets are able to control the clock throughout the game, then you're going to have to rely on the defense, not just forcing a turnover, but probably scoring points in order to win that game. And although they've done a much better job about creating the turnovers and and putting themselves in a position to score, cave on with his drop, cough, cough, um, you know, you don't want to have to rely on your defense to score points. So they're going to have to shut down the run somehow. They're going to have to force Zach Wilson to beat him, and they're going to have to force him to do it while he's under pressure. And I think if they're a- they're able to do that, they should find themselves in this game at the end of the fourth quarter. How that plays out with their with their offense, you know, I don't really know. We don't know if Daniel Jones is going to play, if Tyrod Taylor is in there. It is going to be the first time he's going up against a true quality defense. I know that statistically the Bills rank high, but that was not a good defensive performance by them, and they haven't played good defense in a few weeks now, and they're missing a lot of pieces. And then last week, you know, he put up two touchdowns against one of the top, you know, or the bottom four defenses in all of football. And and quite frankly, the Giants should have done a better offensive job there. So I don't necessarily have the highest of hopes for the Giants offense, but I most certainly think that this could be another dominant defensive performance on their on their part. Yeah, if you can get the Jets into passing situations and pressure Zach Wilson, then you you can get the game on your terms, right? But to your point, Brees, Brees Hall there, slippery little back. I think yeah. the Giants have been very good tackling. They've stuck their nose in there. They've seemed to have figured that out. Uh, but Brees Hall is one that can make you look silly. 
um, try to mm-hmm. tackle him. So that that's going to be an interesting matchup. I think on offense. Well, the, be- the benefit, go ahead, go ahead. yeah, the benefit, the benefit on the opposite side of the ball is that the Giants have Saquon back, and it's sort yes. of the same story. Mm-hmm. So you're you're kind of looking at these teams, and they're they're much more of a mirror image of each other than people may want to admit. With some saying that the Jets' defense is by far more dominant than the Giants' defense, I think that's actually a little bit closer than people want to admit. And offensively, even with Zach Wilson, who I think even the most hardened Daniel Jones hater would say Daniel Jones is probably better than Wilson. I I actually, unfortunately, given the way that Jones and the offense have played as a whole over the first seven weeks of the season, I don't think there's as big a gap between those two sides as people want to believe either. Oh my God, Daniel Jones over Zach Wilson all day. God, (laughs) Zach Wilson's terrible. (laughs) He's so bad. Um, But, but, you know, to the point on Daniel Jones, like, I know we we're not sure if he's going to go, but Dan, if we're sitting, we're talking here on early Wednesday morning here. That's when we record, right? If Daniel Jones is highly questionable or doubtful at this point, I don't think he should play. I, I think when he's healthy, he should play. But if he's even remotely questionable at this point, he's not sure how he's feeling, then they should shut him down for this week and give Tyrod all the reps and just go with Tyrod mm-hmm. Taylor, right? That gives you the best chance. I don't want to play this game with Daniel Jones. Is he going to play? Is he not all the way to the game time? I think if they don't know by now that he's a hundred percent ready to roll, shut him down. Like that, that, that's just like my little take on the offense. Like I would rather, I think Daniel Jones should be the starter when he's healthy, but if he's questionable right now and we're not sure Tyrod should start. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's sort of where I'm at as well. You know, you're going into this game. That's turned into a key game for you. I know. I realize you're only two and five, but you're you're like as we pointed out, you're we're in the hunt here. Quote, we're in the hunt. In the hunt. <laughs> and so we're in the weeds. I, I don't think the best decision to be made by the Giants would be to either one, you know, limit Tyrod's first team practice snaps if you're not 100 percent sure Jones can go, and, and two, you know, if Jones does, let's say, return to practice later in the week. Uh, again, I don't think that that benefits you for a guy who's basically been sitting on the sideline for two weeks to come in and then play the Jets defense. I just don't think that that's conducive to any level of success. Now, for Tyrod, if he goes in there and gets all the first team practice reps, that will obviously benefit him greatly. But it is also the, his first true true test against a solid defense. Now, Daniel Jones, we we can you know complain about his performance you know to start the season all day long, but let's just be honest about who the competition was for Tyrod and who the competition was for Daniel Jones, yeah, big difference. because that is very, very drastically different. So this would be the true test for Tyrod. If he's the one under center on Sunday and listen, if you're, if you're fans of this podcast and you've been listening for years, again, I know it sounds like a broken record to those of you that have been here. We're Tyrod supporters. We feel like he's gotten, you know, a really bad shake. He's, you know, gotten the short end of the stick multiple times throughout his career. He doesn't belong in the position that he's in. That's just a product of unfortunate circumstance. And I think he's a more than capable quarterback, but that is going to be a tough, tough challenge for him uh, going up against the top defense. So all these people who are out there talking about how Tyrod is the greatest thing since sliced bread, I think maybe you want to pump the brakes a little bit because you're going to back yourself into a corner and he's going to have to go out there and, and play one of the top defenses in the league that make every every quarterback struggle. Yep, 100%. And that Jets front seven is uh, scary. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Giants can hold up against that. I, I do. I will, I will add this, though. I will yep, add this. Yep. Now, I think Daniel Jones can make every throw on the field. I've never been afraid to say that. I'm still not afraid to say that. But Tyrod does throw an awfully pretty and accurate football. And I think 
although Daniel Jones has improved in terms of his accuracy, I think it might be better for the Giants to go with Tyrod, assuming that Daniel's not 100% healthy. One, because he does throw such an accurate ball, and that's going to be absolutely necessary against the Jets. Uh, but two, also, as we talked about earlier, because of his elusiveness when it comes to moving within the pocket when the pressure is on, I think the Giants have done a good job about moving the pocket for Tyrod, whereas they didn't do that for Daniel Jones earlier this year. But I, I think that that pristine ball that Tyrod throws and his sort of game management style is going to be exactly what the Giants need in this game. Yeah, I think that's a good take. It's going to be that kind of game. Uh, definitely. It's going to be who who takes care of the ball, who manages it, who picks up some key first downs, like who can win the field position. It's going to mm-hmm. be all that crap. Uh, but let's get to the prediction, Dan. The Giants plus three at quote unquote home against the Jets. What do you, what do you think? Uh, what do you, what's your I, pick here? I'm honestly torn because ma- mainly because I don't know who's going to. Yeah, mainly because I don't know what's going to happen at quarterback. I don't know if Andrew Thomas is going to be back. It sounds like he could potentially be. Things aren't as certain when it comes to John Michael Schmitz, and I think his presence also plays a major role in where that offensive line is. So it's kind of tough um, to make that prediction because so much of this game is going to hinge on how well that offensive line plays and how well that quarterback plays against this top-tier defense. I do think whether it's Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor, however, I think with the way that the Giants defense is playing and who it is they're going up against the quarterback and where the Giants offense is slowly inching its way towards, I think they have a chance in this game. I would bet almost any amount of money that this is not going to be any kind of offensive shootout. That's for sure. Um, I think I'm going to give the nod to the Giants to win straight up just because I feel like there's momentum that's starting to build now. And we kind of saw what they did with that early last year. And they're starting to believe again. They're starting to believe in each other. They're starting to trust each other. They're gelling. Finally, there's communication. You see it more on defense than you do on offense. But I think that defense is going to come up huge on Sunday. And that's what's going to win them the game for the second straight week. All right. I love it. And and also just to be, you know, just to be completely transparent. We both hate the Jets, too. So it's really hard for us to pick the Jets in, in any kind yeah. of capacity. <laughs> that's that's uh, it's, yeah. it's much it's much easier when they're not a dominant team to yeah. like kind of let go of that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to hide that. I despise the New York Jets. Yeah. I absolutely cannot stand them. But, you know, setting all of that aside, if the Giants defense can step up and they could slow down Brees Hall. There's absolutely no reason to believe that they can't win this game. There's yeah. they they if they stop that one tiny little Achilles heel, I don't think that Zach Wilson can go out there and beat the Giants defense the way that they've been playing. Well, I'm with you on that. I, I think it's going to be close. It's hard to predict because I think it's going to be, you know, who makes the plays in the fourth quarter type of game. I think it's going to be that. It's yeah. going to be a fun battle. It's going to be a good. Yeah, one. let's let's yeah. see who can not muff the punts it, exactly. and turn the ball over. Some, yeah, it's one of those games where that. something stupid happens that yep. sways it either way. I think if I was betting the game, I'd bet the under. <laughs> I just think it's going to be, it's, you know, what, what was the game against Washington? 14 to 7? You know, yeah, what's like the over under 30? 36 and a half or something yeah, like that? Was, 37? Yeah, so I would... I like the under, man. I think there's only going to be 14 10 sounds about right. Yeah, exa- today, so. Exactly. That kind of game. Yeah. So if I was betting it, I bet the under. But yeah, I think when we get to the fourth quarter of this game, it's going to be tight. And I don't think either team is running away. And it's going to come down to a few plays. Hopefully the Giants uh, can pull it out. You you working on anything related to uh, the trade deadline or anything else on Giants Wire, Dan, over the next few days? Well, we're going to be talking about Saquon. Obviously, Leonard Williams, Adoree Jackson. But I think a lot of that hinges on 
the result of this upcoming game. If the Giants win this game, I don't think they're going to be the sellers that many people believe they should be. If they lose this game, that's a totally different story. We'll see what happens from there. But if they win this game, I don't necessarily think they're going to be buyers. I, do, I definitely don't think they're going to do that, but I don't think they're going to be selling either. And it's also important to note because Saquon Barkley has been, you know, the hot topic of the trade conversation. You know, he was asked about that last week. Uh, Joe Shane, Brian Dayball pulled him aside told them that not only do they have no intention on trading him, uh, they actually are going to look to sign him long-term, uh, have those negotiations at the end of the season. So for anybody that's, you know, believing that Saquon's going to go anywhere, whether the Giants win or lose this game, that's not going to happen. But if they do lose this game, the names you're going to want to look at are Leonard Williams, potentially Sterling Shepard, as much as I hate to say it, uh, Adoree Jackson, players like that who are on one-year deals or at the end of their contracts with the team. Um, you know, obviously, all of these players have said they don't want to go anywhere. We'll see if Joe Shane honors that or tries to to build up his draft stock if they lose lose this game. But ultimately, like I said, I think the Giants are going to win this game, and all that's going to be moot. Yeah, so that's fascinating. So Dan thinks that this game against the Jets could change the approach at the trade deadline. I think that's fascinating, and that's where folks are going to want to keep the eyes pinned on Giants wire here leading up to this game, after this game, leading up to the trade deadline. It's going to be exciting to be back on here next week to not only break down this game, but what the Giants do at the deadline. We'll be here for all that. And for Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks, as always, for joining the pod this week. We'll catch you next time. 